The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie and the Onions. And a special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 7 King of the Fleece Jason was a pirate king. He had married a voodoo princess, Medea. Together, they had plundered a legendary hoard of Spanish gold, after which they sailed to New Orleans. They docked his mighty galleon, the Argo, divided up to the crew, the Argonauts, their shares, keeping the bulk for himself. He began a new life as a lord of wealth and privilege in a city ready to trade its virtue for his money. But even a horde does not last forever, and as funds ran low, Jason set to gather the Argonauts once more. He found only a handful of them in town. The rest had left, married, or died. However their state, they would not sail again. There were not enough of them to man the great Argo. But with hardship came innovation. He spent half of what he had left on new clothes and began burning through the rest, parading around affluent shops, markets, and restaurants until he met Glaus. Glaus was not pretty. What she was, though, was young and dumb and rich. She was the mayor's only child. Jason courted her with stories of the high seas. He confessed that he had been a pirate. A pirate king, he would boast. He was a gifted storyteller, and the stories seemed so romantic to Glaus. Even though Jason made no mention of Medea or romance, Glaus was hooked. Jason was so handsome. He had great hair. He was so bad sometimes. She asked him to ask her father to marry. It was what he had been waiting for. She told him, just bring a gift. Make it something expensive. If he accepts the gift, he will agree to the proposal. So be sure it's big enough he won't want to give it back. Then you're all mine. Jason was in trouble. His money was now gone. He could not afford a sandwich. He went to what remained of his Argonauts. Together, they came up with a plan. They borrowed a team of horses and a flatbed cart from a brewery that had benefited most from their earlier windfall. They broke into the local opera house and stole matching outfits and the most outlandish captain's costume they could find. They begged a local band to join them, promising them that they would be hired for real money when the inevitable wedding was arranged. They ran through the cemetery, removing flowers from graves. They paid children a penny to follow them. When it was all set, everyone met at the Argo. Then, from the ship, they loaded the largest cannon Jason had onto the flatbed cart. The cannon had been plundered from a Chinese ship. It was steel molded into the shape of a dragon, double the size of most cannons. People who saw it swore you could load a horse into it should you 
want to fire a horse at someone. Instead of wheels, it had claws that dug into the ground where it was set. Gold accents wove through the dragon design. Jason hated to give it up, but couldn't risk his gift would be rejected. The Argonauts dressed as foppish guardsmen, escorting the cart with the massive cannon. Jason, in the absurd version of what an opera thought a pirate captain should be, rode with the cannon. He had his cutlass out and his leg up on the dragon like it had been slain. The band positioned before the cart, the children followed behind it, dancing and chanting, Jason, Jason, Jason. Everything was decked out in flowers. The parade began at the docks. They made their way through the city the long way, taking turns they didn't need to, going out of their way to head down more popular streets. Each street they went down, more and more people joined their parade until by the time they reached the mayor's mansion, they were over 3,000 strong. The cart came to a halt and the band played as loud as they could without destroying their instruments. The crowd was chanting, Jason, Jason, Jason. The mayor and his daughter came out to the balcony of the spacious southern mansion. If he had said anything, it was lost in the cacophony. Jason raised his cutlass. The band stopped, and the crowd hushed. Mayor Creon! Jason bellowed as if addressing another captain across the water. I am Jason, King of the Privateers! Jason, for once using the more acceptable privateers instead of pirates, insinuating that he had government approval for his piracy. I am Captain of the Argo, and these people are my Argonauts! Jason raised his cutlass to the crowd. The crowd cheered, happy to be included. I have come with a gift, this fine cannon, from a kingdom on the other side of the world. It has served me well in defiance of this great nation. Now it will serve you as a symbol of your strength and your readiness to defend the greatest city in the south. No, the world. New Orleans! The crowd cheered again. Jason bellowed in laughter. But in his mind, he knew it was time to bring it home. And for this, I ask only humbly. Jason got down on one knee. You consider my request for your daughter's hand in marriage. Mayor Creon was in complete disbelief. This man had gathered so many people, chanting his name, parading with him through the streets. As a political rival, this man could destroy him. But he didn't want to be a rival. He wanted to be my heir. This man must be a fortune hunter, privateer indeed. He wants to use me for my money. However, I do have only one daughter and I could use him to create a dynasty. He looked at his daughter next to him. Please, Daddy, I love him, was all she said. Well, that's convenient, thought Mayor Creon, as he looked over to the cannon and imagined it ornamenting his mansion. If I say no, 
honor would demand, I not take the cannon. Give a daughter, get a cannon, and a puppet son-in-law to shape into the next mayor, maybe even governor. He looked at his daughter again, her hands clasped, begging for him to say yes. He always wished she had been prettier. This is probably the best offer he's going to get. He turned to the crowd, only now noticing everything was quiet, waiting for his answer. Jason, captain of the Argo, they may call you king of the privateers, but it would be my honor to call you son. The crowd cheered. The band began to play again. Jason roared in triumph. Soon, he thought, I will be king of New Orleans. Medea returned to the Argo. She had been helping a friend of hers who was a midwife. A slight of a woman was having twins. Her friend anticipated a painful birth and asked Medea to bring her bag of magic potions. Medea knew better. There was nothing magical about them, but they sold better with the word magical on the label, so let people misunderstand. It took almost a full day to birth the pair. The mother used almost ten dollars worth of magic. Not bad, thought Medea. They called the twins Romulus and Remus. Medea thought the names were too similar for brothers who would probably most likely turn out looking like each other. But they weren't her kids, so what did she care? She hated children and had been using magic to ensure that she never had any. That's when she saw the empty space where a cannon should be. She rushed to the harbor master to report the theft. The harbor master related the story of the parade, the music, and the crowd. And best of all, the harbor master beamed. What? Medea asked, grinding her teeth. The captain is going to marry the mayor's daughter. Jason? Yes, miss. Jason is already married. He is? To whom, miss? To me, you jackass! That can't be, miss. And why not? With all due respect, miss, you're black. Medea screamed. She kicked the man in the shins and pushed him off the dock into the bay. The harbor master would have arrested anyone else for assaulting him, but he could see that the woman was in distress, and she scared him. So... After pulling himself out of the bay, he closed the office early and went home. Medea's mind could not contain her anger. It spilled out of her mouth in curses and complaints. How dare this city! Ugh, the arrogant bastards! White sacks of pig shit! How dare they dismiss me! I am a priestess favored by the gods! I was a pirate queen feared throughout the Caribbean! The royal blood of the pharaohs! who ruled the kingdoms of this earth while their ancestors still dug in the mud for worms, burns through my veins, and with one word they try to annul that history and my marriage. They try to simplify my existence so they can brush me aside like lint from their shoulder, stealing from me all that I am and all that I have. Black. I will show them black. I will bring against them the blackest of magic, the blackest of gods. This will be the darkest night. 
Medea went into the Argo. Down in her quarters, she set to find a spell. She looked through her books, but she was too mad to read. She searched her cabinets for anything. She wanted a garment of fire that could consume them. She wanted to call down the heavens to crush them. She would summon a demon from hell to tear their lives. But that's not how voodoo works. She saw among her things a jug of kerosene for lamps on board. She found a box of matches. Where magic had failed her, sheer hatred would serve. She took the kerosene and matches. She did not need voodoo to burn down their lives. Jason was high on his own achievement. He was dancing down the docks. He still had the opera costume on. He felt like singing when he saw Medea heading towards him. He did not notice the jug in her hand. Medea, baby, how's it swinging? Medea showed him how it was swinging. It swung hard, it swung fast, and it swung into his head. Lucky for Medea, the jug did not break. For the second time that day, there was a parade, beginning again at the docks and ending again at the mayor's mansion. There was no band, no children dancing and chanting his name, just an unconscious Jason being drugged through the streets of New Orleans by the angriest woman anyone has ever seen. It's said that the city loves nothing more than a party and a man in triumph. But that's not entirely true. The thing they love more is comeuppance. So once again, they set aside what they were doing and followed. Medea reached the mansion. Jason was still unconscious. She tore strips of fabric off his ridiculous costume and tied him to the cannon, now on the lawn of the enormous estate. Medea turned towards the crowd and pointed at them. The evil eye. Murdered someone in the crowd as Medea entered the estate. For a moment, no one moved. The crowd watched as the telltale orange glow began to appear in window after window. The great double doors on the front of the house reopened. Medea stepped out, an inferno behind her. She slammed the doors shut. The fire blazed within. Walking up to Jason, she slapped him across the face. He did not wake, so she slapped him again. He began to stir. Medea, wait, Jason began. She hit him again. Don't talk, you great fool. If you needed the money, we could have sailed back to sea. So what if the Argonauts were not with us? We could get a new crew and make them into Argonauts. It was me, you ass, that made you king of the pirates, not them. We ruled the world together. If we wanted something, we took it. All of the ocean was ours. It was a gift I set at your feet. But you'd rather have this shit city. You'd rather be king of the bigots with your ugly bigot queen. Divorce me from your future. Toss me aside like a toy you no longer care for. Then watch your future burn. Watch the plans you have cut me from turn to ash. And know this, king of the shithole. As your future burns, I am going to burn down your past as well. Medea spat on him and turned to the crowd. I have cursed this man. His fate is now to be witness to my wrath. If any come to his aid or try to cool my fire, the curse will take you as well. Medea left. The crowd parted, stepping on each other so not 
to come anywhere near the woman. When she was out of sight, Jason called to the crowd. Someone untie me. Anybody, for God's sakes, untie me. But the curse? Asked a woman from the crowd. There's no curse. That's just how she talks. I swear, please come untie me. But the fire, the house, said another man. That's not a curse either. That's just kerosene. Now, untie me. A man from the crowd took a cautious step forward when someone was heard yelling from the barn. The mayor, his shirt and pants half off, swung open the door off the side of the barn and began to run, yell, and dress all at the same time. He was only marginally successful. Sir, sir, untie me, yelled Jason to the mayor. Now, mostly dress, he ran to Jason. What's happening? The mayor tried to untie Jason when he heard, Daddy, Daddy, help me! From inside the house, the mayor abandoned Jason and ran for the door. He flung open the great double doors. He immediately saw a great hand of fire. It was coming for him, and he tried to run. He made it past the porch, down the first step, when the hand caught him like a child grabbing a toy soldier in his fist. The fire held the mayor, and the crowd cringed in horror as the mayor was charred to the bone in seconds. The hand let go of him, and he fell dead on the walk leading to the house. The hand went back inside the house as quickly as it had come out, shutting the doors as it retreated inside. No sound could be heard from inside. Jason pulled at his bindings in vain. The crowd started to leave. They were too afraid now to help, and their cowardice shamed them. The Argonauts got word of the fire and finally arrived to help. Untying Jason, they all ran for the Argo. Even from a distance, they could see that the great ship was ablaze. Jason and the Argonauts were not close enough to see, but other witnesses say they saw the figure of Medea. She was throwing lanterns and setting more fires on the deck of the burning ship, laughing and cursing. When the gunpowder in the hull ignited, the explosion engulfed the Argo, the dock, and Medea. Jason stopped running. It was done. Well, that's it. Jason sat down in the middle of the street. I have nothing now. That crazy bitch burned it all. We're sorry, Captain, said the tallest of the Argonauts. Nothing for you to be sorry about. None of this is your fault. Well, that's mostly true, said the shortest of the Argonauts. Mostly? asked Jason. What do you mean, mostly? The thing is, said the tall Argonaut, we were going to tell you back in Haiti when you first met her. We knew you were our captain, and it wasn't our place. But as we're your friends, we decided to get together and hold a shipwide meeting. We thought if each of us, one by one, told you how we felt, then maybe you'd listen. Listen to what? asked Jason. The fact that in the history of crazy bitches, Medea was the craziest, said the fattest of the Argonauts. We were going to suggest we go as fast as we could to get as far as possible and never return to Haiti. 
Come on, guys. Medea wasn't that bad, Jason claimed, while what was left of the docks behind him was still on fire. She cut her own brother into pieces and threw him overboard one piece at a time, said the tall one. That was to help us escape, defended Jason. If there were children on a ship we plundered, she would line them up to the rail and kick them into the sea one by one, said the short one. She hated children. We all knew that. I didn't want children either. She boiled your parrot, said the fat one. She was hungry. The only female Argonaut squatted next to Jason, still sitting in the middle of the street. She put her hand on his shoulder and said quietly, She burned down the mayor's mansion and blew up the Argo. So why didn't you guys tell me then? Well, like we said, we were going to. We were waiting for you to return, but you were off ship for two days, and when you came back, you had Medea with you. You seemed so happy. You announced that you were married and that we should prepare the ship to sail immediately. You yelled, I am the pirate king, and this is my queen, then disappeared into your quarters for two more days. We kind of figured we were too late. And you did seem happy, so, eh. Okay, fine. It's all your fault. Doesn't help me now, though. I've got nothing left. Not nothing, said the oldest of the Argonauts. How so? asked Jason. You got us, Captain. Anything else? We still got the horses and cart. Yeah, and the mayor don't need that cannon no more. Gentlemen, Jason said with a booming voice. There was a slight cough behind him. Fine, said Jason, rolling his eyes. Scallywags and rogues, Jason restated. The girl one smiled. It's time to return to piracy. But we don't have a ship, said the old one. We don't need one. We are going to be land pirates. Now, let's go get our cannon. Jason and the Argonauts left New Orleans that night. The brewery never saw its horses or cart again. The city never forgot Medea's darkest night. The story was retold in every quarter, and Medea called everything from a righteous avenging angel to the murderous whore of Satan. The city was divided on what to think. Most women agreed that Medea was wrong, and they would never do the same. However, it became a little-known custom for wives to keep a jar of kerosene in the corner of the kitchen, and if they thought their husbands were developing a wandering eye, they would move it to the center of the dining room table. The only thing that people who were there that night ever regretted was never finding out who or what the mayor was doing in the barn. A little more than a year later, Jason sat at a saloon in Waterloo, Iowa, with a full bottle of wine and a wallet full of money. The Argonauts mingled with the crowd, making friends and spending their money like, well, drunken sailors. Jason had a small notebook that would fit in his pocket. He bought it because it said Captain's Log on the cover. He thought it would be perfect to write down all his ideas. He had the book for nine months already. It had only two entries. The first said, How to make money. 
Number one, rob people. Number two, move to a new town. Number three, spend money making friends and having fun. Number four, ask new friends who has the most money. Number five, rob people. It was a formula that was working surprisingly well so far. The other entry said, King of the Land Pirates, and it was crossed out. King of the Highwaymen, it was crossed out. King of the Outlaws, it was also crossed out. King of the Road, it was underlined. Jason was happy they were doing well, but he missed Medea. Sure, she was crazy, but she was also sexy and wild. He even missed Glouse. She was a kind girl, and she would always buy him food. She would even feed him by hand if he let her. Okay, sure, she wasn't a looker, but he always wondered how she was in bed. Better than Medea? Now he would never know. He wrote in his book, Medea, crazy, mean, beautiful, sexy. Glouse, ugly, kind, rich, probably good in bed. New wife, beautiful, sexy, kind, rich, and definitely good in bed. New wife, question mark, question mark, question mark, and it was underlined. Jason knew what he wanted, but where could he find her? He looked across the saloon, but the barmaids fell short of beautiful. They probably also weren't very rich. He saw the girl Argonaut. She wasn't a bad looker, but she failed to extrude sexy. Also, he suspected she was not very good in bed. People she had taken a tumble with never went back for seconds, and often complained of her using her teeth way too much. Jason did not want to find out what that meant. That's when the solution literally landed in his lap. The old one had thrown a newspaper at him. The headline said, Westward Ho, the world's most beautiful woman to marry train baron. Jason read the article. This was it. A New York socialite was traveling west to marry. She'd be traveling by train. There were only so many that went that far. She was beautiful, sexy, rich, and he could teach her to be good in bed. Argonauts, assemble, Jason yelled across the bar. The other four, besides the old one who was already there, went back to the table. Gentlemen, Jason said. The girl one coughed. Scallywags and rogues, he continued. She smiled. It's time I took a wife. And by took, of course I mean, it's time I stole a wife. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, read by Paris Lee. Artwork by me, Helen Lee. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead, except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of my artwork and Paris's writing at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. This podcast was made with the love and support of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.